was the bad one, the warning or the watch. And I do that every time there's a storm. And it's, it's the warning. The warning's the bad one. And I took a little photo of it, a little, little screenshot, so I can pull that up from now on. So the warning's bad, not the watch. Watch is like, not like watch, there's a tornado. It's watch like there could be a tornado, but no one's seen a tornado. And warning is someone saw a tornado. So anyway. All right, so we're teaching on finances, and once a year we do that. There's a lot of teaching in the scripture, a lot of teaching in the scripture on financial principles and financial direction um, all over Old and New Testament. So once a year we do this. Once a year we, we go through um, some of God's principles. Um, but it's really important to understand as we get into some of the things that scripture says, it's really important to understand what God's motivation is for giving us his direction. It's, under, it's important to understand why he gives it. Uh, specifically, that God gives us his direction and his commands and his principles, not because of what he wants from us, but because of what he wants for us. And that's a critical, critical difference. Because um, the more a person understands God's motivation is love, the more likely they are to seek God's direction and to follow it. And even if you are a follower of God and you want to know what God has for you, even, even then there are certain areas where we kind of resist or kind of maybe even deep down inside don't totally trust you know, God's direction or maybe his motivation. Because even children do this with their parents. Okay, even if a parent or a child knows, oh, mom and dad love me, there are certain areas where kids all throughout their lives, whether you have kids now, you understand that, or your kids are older, or whether you were a kid, you can reflect back on this, that there were seasons where there were certain areas of direction where you might have pushed back because you didn't totally trust your parents' motivation. Um, this is one of those uh, sermons where I really want my, my kids to hear it, and I'll come back to that later just because of how important these things are. But my, my kids did that at every stage, and they're still doing it. They're 14, 13, and 13. I remember specifically when my daughter was five years old, Deva, uh, who's serving in the kids' ministry right now. Um, she uh, always wanted every, every dollar she got, so whether it's birthday or she got some kind of money, she wanted to carry it around with her in this little bag. We told her that's a bad idea. Don't don't carry that money around because you're gonna lose it. And she was prone to lose stuff. Um, and she uh, resisted that. She just loved carrying her money around. It was kind of like I mean, because she loved she loved having that money. It was like a puppy, you know. Man, I got twenty bucks. And so she had twenty dollars, and she she's got it in her bag. We didn't know she had it in her little bag. And then she comes wherever we were. She comes back to us, and she's weeping. I mean, she's just crying, crying. What's wrong? I lost my twenty bucks. Why did you have your twenty dollars with me? I had it in my bag. I'm so sorry. Um, and honestly, if I had lost twenty bucks, I would have done the same thing. So I get it. But we didn't replace the money. We didn't tell her, "Oh, well, we feel so bad. Here's twenty dollars." We're like, "Wow, that's a drag. <laughs> you lost twenty bucks. Maybe you shouldn't have been carrying it around in your little bag." I mean, you're not saying as a parent, "See, I told you so." You're saying, you know, maybe that wasn't a good idea. Do you think that when mom and dad said don't carry the money around with you in your little bag that we were trying to help you so maybe you wouldn't lose it. Uh, yeah, I get it. Okay. And uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so, you know, even, even kids um, will push back even when they know mom and dad loves them. They'll push back on certain things. But when they really understand, and sometimes, right, it's, it's learning the hard way, but when they really understand 
wow, these, these, this direction is coming from a point of love, they're so much more likely to embrace what their parents are saying. It's the same way with God. Every, every area of God's direction is motivated out of love. And specifically in the area of finances, it's important to understand that God's motivation is what he wants for us, not what he wants from us. Just really critical to understand that. And as we look at a few verses, and today going to be kind of all over the place, just looking at some, some key verses, not everything God says about money, but some things. Um, that comes out. We, you can see it clearly. Um, you can see clearly God's motivation. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about money, and it almost depends on how you, uh, how you interpret. Well, I'll just, I'll just say this. 15% of all the teachings of Jesus are about money. They are, they're, the money is in the context. Half of the parables of Jesus, the context is money, or it's even directly about money and possessions. One of uh, every seven verses in the New Testament has to do with finances or money, or it's, or it's about that area, because life, you know, that's where life kind of gets, the rubber meets the road, right? Um, and there's so much at stake in so many ways, in, in, in spiritual ways and other ways. Uh, 2,000 verses total in the Bible. So the Bible says a lot about it. Why? Because of what God wants for us. Now, I was going to look at a couple things, um, but before we look at just, just three major things that God wants for us, I just want you to hear two things. Number one, um, as we go through this, um, don't get discouraged if you are in a situation where, wow, you're feeling you know, buried by debt or you're just in a tough financial situation, and, and, and you just kind of ask ah, the last thing I want to hear when I show up at church because, man, this is a little area, is a burden area for me, and I really want to hear something a lot more hopeful. I would say this, don't get discouraged, get a plan, okay? You don't have to be okay financially next week to feel hope and to not be discouraged. If you just have a plan and you know where you're going, the hope starts to come in, and the peace starts to come in right when you have a plan. So, so the plan will give you hope and peace, because you'll know, okay, i got a plan now, and now I've got some advice, and, and in three years, this is where I'm going to be. So the peace comes when you get a plan, okay? not only when you're out of the weeds. It comes sooner than that. And the second thing is, I'm not teaching as a financial expert, okay? I'm a, I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher. Um, um, made a lot of mistakes, but uh, these scriptures are really important or convicting to me personally. Like I said, these are things I want my kids to understand. These are things every time I read them, I get personal conviction. I go, man, I'm glad I read that again. So I'm approaching this, um, you know, not um, as a financial expert, uh, just so you know, I'm not speaking it that way. So the question is, what does God want for you? That's the question. When it comes to reading scriptures or hearing scriptures about God's financial direction. What does he want for you? Number one, God wants you to be free from living in the servitude of debt. So <clears throat> there's a few scriptures that talk about this. Here's, here's one. Proverbs 22.7 says, the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. So someone's a servant and someone's not. And the borrower is the servant. Now, question, okay? Um, really easy to get this answer right. Uh, why are there so many credit card companies? 
And the answer is, it's a great way to make money, right? That's why. Uh, the great thing about owning a credit card company um, is that you're not really the one doing all the work. That's, that's the really great thing about owning a credit card company. In fact, the whole plan is that you get other people to do the work. So they do the work, and then here's the kicker, okay? Then they pay you, even though they did the work. You're not paying, you don't, they don't, they work, and then you don't pay them. They work, and then they pay you. That's why owning a credit card company is such, you know, an amazing um, business plan. Um, that's what credit is. You borrow money, there's interest, uh, and you pay the interest. And it, it's always good to kind of see, you know, how that, that works just physically. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've ever done like a, looked at a debt calculator or, or a credit card calculator, but it, it's always really healthy to be reminded of how that works. And, and again, my kids are 13, uh, 13 and 14, and I'm just starting to talk to them about, you know, just debt and credit and, you know, compound interest and all that kind of stuff, which, which by the way, most high schoolers can't explain. Uh, so this is pretty healthy stuff to talk about. But let's put up a couple scenarios, okay? Um, so if you owed $5,000 with an 18% rate, so the average, I looked, I looked all this up, and it did this through a credit card calculator, but the average right now credit card um, interest is 15.36%. That's a nationwide average, right? So, wow. Holy smokes. So um, now, now they're nice. They're, they're nice, so they, they only make you pay a minimum, okay? You only have to pay a minimum, and, and 4% is a common minimum. So if you owed $5,000, so before you put up the next slide, if you owed $5,000, okay, and you had to pay a 4% minimum, so you paid the minimum payment every month, First of all, how long would it take you to pay it off? And second of all, how much would you pay? All right, think about that for a second. Just get a number in your mind. Some of you are like math whizzes and you already know down to the penny. Um, all right, here's the answer. If you paid 4%, you'd pay $7,874. It would take 11 years. Okay, so kind of a drag to have to pay that money back in 11 years. Um, but, man, you owed five grand and you're like, oh, so, you know, $8,000, oh, that's not, that's $2,800. <laughs> <laughs> that you worked for, and then you paid them. See what I mean? This is why it's genius to own a credit card company. All right, let's do another one. Same thing, $5,000, okay, 18% rate, but, but you, your credit card company is really compassionate and loving, and so they are like, we, we're going to make you pay less, okay, because they love you, okay, they care about you. Um, so you only pay a minimum of 2%, really common, by the way, uh, to do that. So if you only pay the minimum, get in your mind before I put up the answer, how long would it take you to pay it off? Ready? Okay, here's the answer right here. Okay, 20, 28 years, only $5,000. Uh, you'd pay $17,556. So in other words, now, you do the plus and minus there, you only borrowed five grand, and you're having to pay them, not just the five grand you owe, but 12000 $556 back. All right, yeah, that's pretty discouraging. And some of you are going, holy smokes, I owe a lot more than that. And yeah, and it's okay. You, if you get a plan, the peace will come in, okay? Before you're even free of that debt, the peace can come in when you have a plan. But it's really important just to see the reality of how that works, how lending and borrowing works, because it enslaves you to the lender, okay? It, it keeps you from all kinds of things. And so when God gives that principle, it's obvious to see his motivation. He's trying to keep you, um, 
you know, he's trying to keep you out of that servitude. And so his command is what he wants for you. There is a place, of course, for wise loans. I mean, very few people um, in our country could own a home without um, a loan. There's also a place for wise school debt. There's also a place for unwise school debt. Not all school debt is wise. And a lot of people don't get enough counseling on that. But when you or I use our credit card or student loan or other loans to spend on desires, on stuff, okay, we don't have the money, but we've been loaned money, and we spend it on our desires and not our needs, that's, that's wrong. Wrong in the sense of unwise and wrong in the sense of probably wrong. We don't have the money. All we're doing is digging a hole and becoming a servant to the lender. And you know why we do that? There's a lot of reasons why we do it, okay? We're all in the same boat. Why we buy things with credit cards, buy wants, not needs with money, you know, using money we don't have. And one of the reasons is because it's so plain normal in our culture. But it's so important to realize it has not always been that way, and it's only been that way for a very short amount of time. A law changed in 1978. Credit cards started coming in, and it didn't become normalized till even years after that. And the generation that's coming up now, they've never known anything different. But every other generation, there was a part of their life or their whole life where it wasn't normal to live out of debt, to live with credit. You had money, and you spent it, and when you didn't have it, you just didn't buy that stuff anymore. Uh, it used to be actually morally wrong. Think about this. It used to be morally wrong in our society. The culture viewed it that way. People would have just said, yeah, that's wrong. It's morally wrong. Let me read you an, um, an article from, the Atlanta, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, at the turn of the century in the newspaper. Uh, this is page 54 from Debt Free Living. Okay, this is an article, or not an article, this is a report um, from the turn of the century. Sarah Wright, okay? Sarah Wright is sentenced to debtor's prison for an indefinite period of time for habitual indebtedness. Okay, first of all, hardcore. So her name's out there in the paper, right? For habitual indebtedness. Her crimes, charging food that she couldn't pay for at a merchant store, charging dry goods at the department store, and signing for a loan with a local citizen with the, without the ability to make restitution, okay? That was in the paper at the turn of the century in Atlanta because it didn't used to be normal, and we're, we're just so used to it. So how do you live free? And, and you know, we could go on, on a whole other list of why this is damaging to us, and we know a lot of that. We'll come back around to a little bit of it. But how do you live free from the servit, servit, servitude of debt? There's about 15 to 20 things that are both practical things, but also heart things that, again, we could list. But there's one big bottom line, okay? And this is so profound, it's going to blow your mind. And you can even tweet this, and you're going to get pushed back, and people are going to march because of this, okay? Here's what it is. You ready? Here's the biggest principle. Don't spend more money than you make, okay? Do we have that slide? Don't spend more money than you make. There. All right. So what, 85, 90% of everything is solved if we do that, right? I don't know what the percentage would be. Um, so let's dwell on that for a second. What if um, you want to buy a couch, you got an old couch, and it doesn't look as good, and there's a new couch. Um, but you don't really have the money, but you have a credit card. Um, what do you do? 
So you don't have the money for it, but you got a credit card. They could loan you the money to buy the couch. What do you do? Uh, the answer would be, if you're following wise principles, um, godly principles, and you're being wise, is you would not buy the couch because that would be spending more money than you had, okay? And that's a want versus a need, and you would go, that's a want, not a need. I'm distinguishing those two. I'm not going to buy the couch. Okay, uh, another, another uh, question. What if you had a car and it ran okay, you know, um, it was kind of pasted together like my car, you know, a little glue here, a little <laughs> glue there, you know, the, the doors don't, you know, the, the little door thing doesn't work, which you don't realize how crazy dependent you are on that, um, but you are, um, so that thing doesn't work, and then you see another car, and it's like, wow, that's a nicer car, and you know, it would be that much, and they, they said they would give me the money. What do you do? Uh, you know, the answer is, if you were following godly principles, and if you were trying to be wise, and you were, you, you would not buy the car. Now, um, what about smaller things? That's a totally different ballgame, right? Like, you, need, you want a new outfit or new shoes or whatever. And you don't have the money, um, um, but you got a card, and, and they'll give you the money. Wow, that's really cool. And it's not that much. It's like 100 bucks. I mean, you can pay that back. Um, what do you do? Do you buy it if you don't have the money? Uh, no, if you're following godly principles, you actually don't buy it. You don't have the money. You distinguish between having wants versus needs. And you go, that's actually a want. And this is... It's not a need, and I'm going to not buy it. And then that's how you don't spend more money than you make, okay? So I know that's really complex, but <laughs> it's important to kind of dwell on. So um, that would cover a pretty big percentage of, of um, our financial wisdom right there. And it isn't just, though, that we practically don't know how to do that. We have stuff going on inside that we don't face, um, and primarily, really, our financial struggles, well, not primarily, but a really big percentage of them really have to do more with our heart rather than with our know-how. So we'll come back around to that in a second. Um, but since our hearts and minds are both weak, okay, we need more, a little more know-how, and we need to, to, to deal with our heart a little more when it comes to spending and buying, we do have to find ways to kind of help our minds and our, our hearts follow strategies. And so there are little tricks that we can do in our lives. I'll just give you one, okay? And this is the biggest one. In light of what is normal in our culture and, now, and how we operate, here's, here's the biggest one in my opinion. Um, this principle here. Pay for things with something that causes a healthy pain, right? Pay for things with something that causes a healthy pain. What is that? That's, that's cash, okay? I don't have a scripture for this one. I, I couldn't find it, all right? Um, but um, I know, you know, saying stuff like don't spend money that, you know, that you don't have is so obvious, but it, it is profound in our culture because it, everything works against that principle. Everybody here knows that. Everything works against that principle. Um, credit card companies want you and, and banks want you to borrow and pay interest because that's how they make money. Um, and they're in the money-making business, but the system would not work the same if they gave you cash to do it. So, in other words, I don't have money, so I'm going to go and I'm going to get, you know, $5,000, and they gave you, you know, $5,000 in cash. It wouldn't quite work the same. And the reason is because that's, that's too painful for the person who's spending it. Now, it would, you know, a lot, plenty of people would get into debt, but it wouldn't be as epidemic as it is because... Spending cash, it's so real. You're like, oh, I got to pay that back. My wife and I, you know, just the other day, um, we went out to dinner. Uh, these people came in town, and, 
and oh, the dinner, and I got the bill, and it was like, oh, it was like a, a little more than I thought it was going to be, and then I had to pay for it, and, and we don't use credit cards, okay, um, just on purpose, trying to do this as a discipline um, and teaching our kids. We use cash, we use cash envelopes, but I'm telling you, had I given a card, that would have been just so peaceful, because I could have just signed it and pretended that was nothing, it was pretend money, um, but I had to like 20, 40, oh, it was so, in fact, I was like thinking, Mick, you know, we could, when they're not looking, we could just, boom, you know what I mean? I mean, it was painful. And, and we want to escape that pain, but that pain's a really healthy pain to, to use cash. Um, but, and, and so there's little practices we can do. Um, you know, so the system is set up for it to feel, you know, painless. We don't experience that pain. We go deeper and, de- and deeper debt. Now, uh, one more guideline for how to avoid debt is just that it's a heart issue. Uh, oh, wait, let me go back a second just tell you how we do that. Okay, um, there's, there's different systems for how to use cash. We use the envelope system, it, and it is a pain in the butt, okay? Everything about me uh, doesn't like it because when, when I was single, my plan for not going into debt was I just didn't spend any money because I hated, like, figuring out how much money I had in the bank. This is true. I hated, like, keeping track of stuff, and so I just didn't spend anything. And, that, and so I always had money in the bank because I just didn't spend it. And it didn't work. That system didn't work later, you know, when I got a wife and kids. I um, had to go to a different system. Um, but now we do the envelope system. And I don't like it, but it, but it works. And, and so what we do is, and it's painful. So at the beginning of the month, we take out money for these certain accounts, like groceries, eating out, clothes, um, a, a little bit for entertainment, um, just, just things where you have to use cash so we don't use a credit card. And it never works 100% right. We always kind of mess it up, but it works about 80% right. So that's 80% better than we were doing before. And then every month we have to do this again. And so even though it doesn't work 100% right, we get to start over again. Okay, we're going to do it right this month. And, and just the fact that we're doing that takes care of about 80%, not 100%, but about 80% of some of those impulse decisions and things like that. So... That's one way to do it. And I encourage you to find some kind of wise way to help you use a painful way to pay for things. But um, all of these, you know, know-how things are not the whole issue. We have to confront our heart, okay? Because, because our, our, our spending our problems have to do with our heart. We have to confront our heart. Spending money you don't have is usually a heart issue. There's a lot of types of heart issues. Can we put that other slide up there? So um, there's, there's just impatience. I mean, I want stuff now. You know, um, that's a huge one. Uh, or, or there's comparison. Oh, man, look at that person's car. Look at that person's clothes or that whatever. Uh, there's wants versus needs. There's just like, oh, I really do need that. Eh, when I'm really honest, I really want it. I don't really need it. There's all kinds of things. So we have to really think about what's going on inside of us with purchasing and debt. Um, So, Scripture says, has a lot of heart scriptures, heart direction, Hebrews 13, 5, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. I can fulfill you better than that material stuff can. And we just really look honestly at what's going on inside of us when we're spending with what we don't have. And we're using credit. And they're not doing us a favor by giving us the money to do it. 
What else does God want for us? God wants us to have what we need. He wants us to have what we need. If you spend everything that you get, then you don't have money when you need it. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You know, there's, uh, um, there's so many different levels of income in our room here, but it doesn't say in the house of the rich. It says the house of the wise. So no matter where you are, you can choose to, you know, restrain and you can choose to live by different principles. And that doesn't eliminate the fact that stuff is going to happen in your life and there's going to be, you know, financial struggles in different ways. But, but a wise person stores up and a foolish person devours. And we're all familiar with that word devours. It can be translated to swallow up or to consume, right? Consume is the way we usually read that. They consume all they have. We're, con- we're in a consumer culture. Everything we see is teaching us to consume. You got 10 bucks, consume. You got 100, consume. You got 1,000, you got 10,000, consume, consume. So we're a part of this culture. It's tough, it's tough to kind of escape it and escape its pull. But you know what happens when you consume everything or you devour everything? Here's what you don't have. Number one, you don't have things you need when you need it. It's gone. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Um, and knowing that this isn't eliminating the fact that financial crisis is going to happen. Because statistics tell us, listen to this, 78% of people will have a major negative financial event in any 10-year period. So it's going to happen. So it's not just chance. We have to be wise and not devour everything, knowing that stuff is going to happen. So if you don't devour everything, then you have what you need in times when you need it. And two, um, if you do devour everything, you don't have anything to give either. It's all consumed. And so a lot of times when we're not able to give, it's because we're making a choice earlier to consume. We just have to recognize that. that that's true. God does want to give you resources, and, and he says why in his word, so that he can use your life to do more of his will. He actually says that, okay? I'm not making it up. I'll read it to you. 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be made rich in every way so that, okay, when you see so that, it means like, oh, I'm going to tell you why I said what I just said, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, use your generosity. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So it didn't say, it didn't say, by the way, you can, you can really misunderstand this text. It doesn't just say, he wants to make you rich. It doesn't say that. It says rich in every way. That covers a lot of different things. But resources is in that. Not, again, I'm not making the argument God wants to make you rich. I, I promise you I'm not saying that. Um, that's a complicated thing. We can ex- walk through that later. But he is saying I want to give you resources. So think about it like that. So that I can use your life. So why would he give you resources? So that it says right there you can be generous. But if you consume it all, you can't be generous, as generous. I think you should still give for the favor of God and all those things. But you can't necessarily do what God wants you to do.
And the last thing, what does God want for us? God wants us to have the really good stuff. Okay? What do I mean by that? Well, let's hear what Jesus means by that. Here's what he says in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a weird scripture. Now, you've probably heard, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, a pretty big percentage of people in the room has probably heard that text. But whenever there's a text about treasures in heaven and God rewarding us in heaven, it, it's uncomfortable for people. I, I had this discussion with some guys yesterday about this. It's, it's hard for us because we, we just think of, oh, you go to heaven. And, you know, we don't want to think of because there's a, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's uncomfortable. Because we think, oh, I'm going to get to heaven, and this guy's going to be rich, and I'm not. And now I'm going to struggle with comparing myself just like I did on earth. Now, it won't be like that, okay? It won't be like that. But, but there are all kinds of scriptures all over the New Testament about God rewarding us in heaven based on our trustworthiness in this life. Not about being saved, okay? You don't, really, you don't ever have to give a dime to be saved. You're saved by putting your faith in Jesus. You're not saved by whether or not you tithe, by whether or not you ever serve or do anything for God. You're saved by what God did for you, by putting your trust in what Jesus did for you. That's a whole separate thing. So if you've never done that, that's what God would tell you to do. He'd say, hey, this finance stuff, this is important, not even nothing compared to this, that if you haven't put your faith in Christ, then I want you to do that, God would say. Because then you're putting your faith in what he did for you, that he died for you. And if you do that, you are saved. And when you die, you will go to heaven. Now, then he's like, okay, now let's leave that aside for a second. All this financial stuff and serving and giving and all that, what's that all about? If I do that, I'll be saved? No, that has nothing to do with that. This has to do with being entrusted, though. And Jesus even says, if, if I can't trust you with the stuff you have in this temporary life, he says it in Luke 16. Who's going to trust you in eternity with that stuff, with true wealth and riches and position? God, God wants to entrust you, and he entrusts you in eternity based on your trustworthiness in this life, and he wants you to have it. And so he says right there plainly, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He wants you to have the really good stuff, the eternal stuff. So, you're hearing this and you know, you're thinking about your financial situation, just say right here at the end, don't get discouraged, get a plan. And the peace will come when you have a plan. Let's pray together. Father, as we seek your direction, we ask you to give us wisdom, lead us to people who can give us counsel and direction, I pray for anyone here who needs that. Father, they would just take initiative and ask for help, and they'll find it. We pray, Lord, for our own hearts. We all want our hearts to be bent towards you and towards your will. And we all recognize it. We, we struggle with it, you know, in different ways. So, God, speak to us and form us and, and work in us, Holy Spirit. We give you thanks that, 
all these practices don't affect our salvation. You know, we're, we do them imperfectly and we don't do, you know, don't do them quite right and some of us are really struggling with them, period. And, but we're saved because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can just rest in that. All this other stuff we can do and focus on because we can leave the fear of death behind because you've given us assurance because of our faith in you, Lord, that we'll be with you forever. Thank you. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.